if you would like to meet me there. It's Genesis chapter 20. The text reads like this. It says, From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of Negeb, and between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you will surely die, you and all who are yours." So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say to me, he is my brother." Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Line in the most famous hymn ever written that always gives me a great deal of pause for thought. In his hymn, Amazing Grace, John Newton wrote, Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Interestingly, 
John Newton knew a thing or two about dangers, toils, and snares, didn't he? The turning point in his life was a near-death experience on the Atlantic Ocean. He was 23, and one biographer described what happened on the 21st of March, 1748. Quote, he awoke that night to a violent storm as his room began to fill with water. As he ran for the deck, the captain stopped him and had him fetch a knife. That is, had him fetch a knife instead of going up to the deck. The man who went up in his place was immediately washed overboard. He was assigned to the pumps and heard himself say, If this will not do, if my work here will not do, the Lord have mercy upon us. It was the first time he had expressed the need for mercy in many years. This biographer continues, he worked the pumps from three in the morning until noon, slept for an hour, and then took the helm and steered the ship till midnight. At the wheel, he had time to think back over his life and his spiritual condition. And that's what he did for two whole weeks. And then looking back on those two weeks of meditation and consideration, Newton wrote this himself. He said, before we arrived in Ireland, I had a satisfactory evidence in my own mind of the truth of the gospel and of its exact suitableness to answer all my needs. I stood in need of an almighty savior and such a one I found described in the New Testament. Thus far, the Lord had wrought a marvelous thing. I was no longer an infidel. I had I heartily renounced my former profaneness. I had taken up some right notions, was seriously disposed, and sincerely touched with the sense of undeserved mercy I had received in being brought safe through so many dangers. I was sorry for my past misspent life and purposed an immediate reformation. I was quite freed from the habit of swearing, which seemed to have been as deeply rooted in me as a second nature. Thus, to all appearance, I was a new man. He wasn't a converted man. He hadn't become a new creation in Christ yet. He wouldn't be converted actually for another six years after that experience. And after his conversion, he would still be familiar with dangers, toils, and snares. But grace led him home. And that's where he is today. We continue this series in Genesis tonight, and the point of the passage that Michael read for us a few moments ago is this. God can be trusted amid danger. God can be trusted amid danger. He's an, he's an ever-present help in time of need, as the psalmist said. And that's an encouragement to us tonight because as Christians, we are always facing dangers, toils, and snares in one form or another. The reason that you, the reason I were handed at our conversion, the belt of truth, And the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is because you would need them all to fight the good fight of faith. So listen, if you feel endangered at work because everyone knows you're a Christian and everyone knows where you stand, 
on those very pressing social issues at the moment, if you feel hopeless because you're married to an unsaved person who ridicules the gospel, if you feel endangered by indwelling sin that seems to have such a grip on your life, if you feel assaulted by demonic accusation and by those fiery darts that the devil throws mercilessly your way, mercilessly your way, you need Genesis chapter 20. Because Genesis chapter 20 tells us who to trust, what to do, what not to do amid danger. Amid those dangerous toils and snares. Now it's been a while, hasn't it, since we've been in the book of Genesis. So I want to remind you of where we've been in this series so far. Back in chapter 12, God had called Abraham to leave all that he had to journey to a land that God would show him. He promised him offspring, even though he and his wife Sarai, now Sarah in our series, were well beyond childbearing age. And when he left his homeland, Lot, his nephew, came with him. But then they separated in Genesis chapter 13. Things were getting a little bit cramped between them. Lot went to dwell near Sodom. And two sermons ago, when Lot had moved into Sodom, two angels busted him and his wife and his two kids out of Sodom before God destroyed it and wiped it off the face of the earth on account of their sin and rebellion. And Abraham had watched the whole thing go down. He had seen the firefall. And now the camera begins to pan away from Lot and pans back to Abraham again. But the passage tonight isn't so much about Abraham. It's about the God who can be trusted in dangerous toils and snares. God can be trusted amid danger. And tonight we're, giving, we're given a twofold answer as to why that is. Number one, he restrains men's actions. That's why we can trust God amid danger, because God restrains men's actions. Look again at verse one. It says, from there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he he sojourned in Gerah. And Abraham said of uh, of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother in the integrity of my heart. And the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die you and all who are yours. Verse 8, so Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Now some would hear a passage like this one and it being read and they would say, I believe that God can restrain men's actions. So why doesn't he? 
Or why does he seem to restrain men's actions so rarely and so infrequently? Why was Helen Rosevere raped as she served as a missionary in the Congo? Why were John Williams and James Harris from the London Missionary Society clubbed, cooked, and eaten by the cannibals on the New Hebride Islands when they arrived there in 1839? Why are our brothers and sisters in North Korea freezing to death and being worked to the point of exhaustion? Well, Genesis gives us an answer. You see, the reason God had restrained Abimelech from sleeping with Sarah was because God had purposed that the promised child would be born to her and to Abraham and to no one else. So friends, in other words, the reason God can be trusted amid danger isn't because God will always get us out of danger, but because danger cannot derail his purposes from coming to pass. When he chooses to restrain the actions of men to bring about his purposes, he does. And when he chooses to use the actions of men, even evil actions, to accomplish his purposes, he does. Some of you got deja vu when Michael read Genesis chapter 20, didn't you? Because back in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham did the same thing. He told Sarah to say to the people of Egypt, he is my brother. Pharaoh took Sarah. God intervened by sending plagues so that Pharaoh gave Sarah back to Abraham. Well, here God is intervening via a dream. So again, when he needs to intervene to ensure his his purposes come to pass, he intervenes, whether via plagues, whether by a dream, whatever it is. And when he chooses to use suffering and evil to accomplish his purposes, he does. But either way, God can be trusted amid danger because nothing can thwart his purposes from coming to pass. Nothing at all. Now, toward the end of the book of Genesis, there's an example that involves actually both of these actions. God's restraining hand and God's active hand in human suffering. Genesis 37, Joseph's brothers, they agree to kill Joseph. But in Genesis 37, 21, God's, uh, we read, But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him, Joseph, out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So, so there is God restraining the action and the will and the desire of these 12 brothers. They meant to kill him, but Reuben said, no, don't kill him. But then after Joseph is sold into slavery, And after Joseph enjoys many dangers and many toils and many snares until he becomes second in command over all the land, his brothers bow before him and he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That many people should be kept alive as they are today. And how many times in the Gospels do we read that men sought to lay hands on Jesus, but Jesus escaped their hands and passed through their mist? Why? Because his time hadn't come. But when his time had come, 
How did the early church understand it? Well, they prayed in Acts 4, didn't they? For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So why can God be trusted amid danger? Should we trust God amid danger because he'll always get us out of danger? Should we trust God amid danger because he'll always get us around danger? No, they're not the reasons why. We should trust God amid danger because danger cannot derail his purposes. Instead, danger is the very means which God uses to bring his purposes about in our lives. And so here's the glorious truth, friends, to build the rest of our lives on. His purposes will always come to pass. There is no danger that can push God's hand away. There is no providence that could derail the plans of God. No, his plans for you in Jesus Christ have been sealed with his blood. And there is no reversing the cross. There is no reversing all that Christ bought for us there at Calvary. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. That's the final word, friends, about our danger. So can I say this, friends? If we want to trust God's purposes in times of danger, we need to know what those purposes are. We need to know what they are so that when your health fails, you can think to yourself, well, if God doesn't heal me, then he'll use this to conform me to the image of Christ. Why? Because that is what he's purposed to do. That's what he's promised to do. When you're facing a a giant unknown in your future, maybe the, the future was all lined up in a row. It was ABC. It was linear. You had it all figured out, your 50 year plan. And now it's all looking like a giant black hole. You can sit back and you can say to yourself, but God will lead me because I am acknowledging him. And the Bible says he will direct the paths of those who acknowledge him first. Or when you're, you're worried about whether to heat or whether to eat this winter, and it's a real concern, you can say to yourself, I can be content in plenty, and I can be content in little because God strengthens me, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Or when you feel harassed at work because you're not going to go woke, and you're not going to lose your mind to the people who are bullying you, you can think to yourself one way or another, I am getting through this one because God has promised me, God has promised all of his people, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I'm getting you through it. And this was one of the reasons, frankly, friends, that Abraham's sin was, in actual fact, so grievous. Because God had told him, in no unclear terms, what his purposes were. 
Genesis 12 verse 2, I will make of you a great nation, Abraham. Genesis 13, 14, and 16, lift up your eyes, Abraham, and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Genesis 15, 4, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. And said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. But in Genesis chapter 20, man looked big and God looked small. And he feared the godlessness of men more than he feared the sovereignty of God. And therefore turned to sin in hopes that sin would do what only God could. Friend, that is wicked. Well, friends, God has planned that we will reign forever with Jesus Christ throughout eternity so that not, not, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to stop that from happening. Therefore, trust God amid danger. Trust him amid danger. He can intervene if he chooses to intervene. He can choose to use whatever is coming against you to bring the plans around. But he is always worthy of our trust. Second, I want us to see he convicts men's heart. If God can be trusted amid danger, number one, because he restrains men's actions. Second, he also convicts men's hearts. Look again. Uh, at verse 9 with me, it says, Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And behold, everyone, and before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech. Because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So God hadn't only restrained Abimelech's actions. He had reached inside of his chest. And he had convicted his soul of sin. Even sin that he had committed unknowingly. Don't miss the the irony here. Abraham thought the men of Gerah didn't fear God. But Abimelech and the men of Gerah ended up fearing God more than Abraham did. And not only did Abraham sin by lying 
But if you can actually get your mind around this, he had the audacity to charge God with wrong. Because the Hebrew word that Abraham uses in verse 13 for wonder, God calls me to wonder, means, quote, to wonder about hopelessly and aimlessly, often in a hostile environment. Think of Hagar's wandering. But Abimelech feared God enough to throw masses of resources at Abraham, just like Zacchaeus, in an effort to show how sorry he was for the whole ordeal and for the whole misunderstanding and for the whole mess that had been brought about indirectly by Abimelech, but in actual fact by Abraham. So the word for us is clear. We can trust God amid danger because God can do whatever he likes with the souls of those whom we might fear. They seem untouchable to us today, don't they? But Proverbs 21 verse 1 says this, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. He turns it wherever he will. God can be trusted amid danger because he can convict the hearts of our adversaries and cause them to turn and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is as difficult for God to draw souls to Christ as it is for us to lay down. It is nothing at all. Remember where we've been in the book of Acts recently. The early church were terrified of Saul. Saul was going from house to house and ravaging the church. And throwing men and women in jail. But then all of a sudden he got convicted of his sin. Was brought face down before Jesus Christ. And he was made the apostle to the Gentiles. Whereas at one time he was the terrorist of the church. The church had nothing to fear. So friends, instead of fearing others, we should pray that they would be frightened into repentance. And come to faith in Christ. Only when Abimelech, only when Nebuchadnezzar, only when Saul of Tarsus realized they were in fact dead men. Were they brought to a place of contrition and repentance. And therefore friends, do not be afraid of men, but instead fear for men. And the best way we can help them fear God is by fearing God ourselves. Because when we refused to sin... When we refuse to sin in order to save ourselves, we confront the world with a God who is in actual fact worthy of our fear. A God who makes those whom the world fears look like grasshoppers. And if we fear men, they will not fear God. But if we fear God enough to obey Him, then His standards can convict even the hardest of hearts. That might mean things go quite badly for us. Just like Herod was convicted by John the Baptist's preaching, it's not lawful for you to have her. For Abimelech, he heard those words and he gave Sarah back. For Herod, he heard those words and he took off the head of John the Baptist. But friends, what is that to us? Because our destinies are in the hand of God. If you're here tonight and you 
you're convicted of sin, a little bit like Abimelech was, do let me say this, there is one whose prayer for sinners is always effective. Why do I say that? Well, I say that because Abraham stood in the gap, didn't he? And he prayed on behalf of Abimelech, on behalf of Abimelech's kingdom, and the kingdom was healed. These wombs that had been made infertile were made fertile again. And our prophet, our priest, and our king always makes intercession for sinners. And he is always heard. And he is always effective. Why? Because he bore the sin of, of many. And is therefore able to stand and pray for them. For cowards like Abraham, for adulterers like Abimelech, whether knowing or unknowing, he shows his father his pierced hands. And his father is pleased to pardon them for Christ's sake. And therefore, friend, if that is you tonight, come to God through Christ. And sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Amen.